If you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to do a study this morning, Lord willing, from the Old Testament in the book of Judges. And we're going to begin at Judges chapter 13. Now, if you have a, a Bible from the shelf in front of you or behind you in the chair, it's page 178. It's Judges chapter 13. So while you're turning there, uh, the contents of Judges 13 and the few chapters that follow, God's word sees fit to describe to us the, uh, a man, the life of a man named Samson. Now, Samson is a man that uh, perhaps you've heard of him, perhaps you haven't. If you have heard of him, probably a few things come to mind right away. He was known for his tremendous physical strength. And uh, there's a few examples of that recorded for us in the black and white of scripture. And, and we will touch on that. And it's, it really is an amazing thing, obviously empowered by God. There's probably been no one ever like Samson ever in the world. However, the reason why we're talking about Samson this morning is not because he was a physically strong man. It's actually more the other side of his character. He was a very morally and spiritually weak man. Samson to me is a, a great example, the account of the life of Samson, a great example of the life of a follower of God, a believer, if you will, when we make decisions not according to the spirit, not according to what God would want us to do, but when we live our life, as the scriptures would say, following the desires of the flesh, of the old nature. And uh, I believe it's very relevant. It applies to my life. It applies to all of our lives. And we see in Samson that, you know what, you get away with it for a long time. and Nothing really seems bad to happen. And you're left to wonder, well, is it that big of a deal? Do I need to follow the things of the Lord? Or can I just do what I want when I want, whenever I want? And we see in the end of his life, actually, a very vivid example of many things that can go sideways. And, and I hope for us today, it's a warning that we would catch ourselves, learn from it, and for the Lord's glory, uh, do better. So Judges 13, if you're able to find it by now, we'll just uh, we'll read a couple of verses. Verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. If you're familiar with the, the accounts of the Old Testament, this is a recurring theme, that God's people, the children of Israel, many times forgot about the ways of the Lord. And the Lord didn't um, subject them to punishment in the sense like lightning from heaven or anything like that. It's more that he removed a hedge of protection around them and allowed God's enemies to beat them. He no longer protected them because they had forgot about God. And so that, that we find ourselves here, children of Israel had forgot about the Lord. And so he allowed the Philistines, godless, worshiping idols, everything like that, to, uh, to essentially enslave the nation for a period of 40 years. And there was at that time a certain man of Zorah, verse 2, of the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren. They could not have children. So we're introduced to a man named Manoah and his wife. For whatever reason, not known to us, they were not able to have children in, in natural means. And um, if you've been through anything like that or know someone who has, it's a, it's a very powerless feeling and a very helpless feeling. I'm sure it was something that weighed very heavily on them until one day, verse 3, angel of the Lord appeared to them and told them that they, and paraphrasing slightly, we're not going to read every verse of this chapter, they would have a child. Obviously, that would be an amazing thing 
to parents who were longing for that, but it was no, no ordinary child. To behold, you're barren, you shall conceive and bear a son. Verse 5, lo, you will conceive and bear a son, and no razor will come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. He will begin to deliver Israel out of the land of the Philistines. So put yourself in the position of the parents. Not only have you been told you're going to have a child, your child is going to be the one who's going to deliver the nation from these evil Philistines. Like, this is mind-blowing stuff for them. And, and there was a word in there. It said in the middle of verse 5 there, he will be a Nazarite. It's kind of a, an interesting word. It, it harkens back to what God described in Numbers chapter 6, the vow of the Nazarite. Uh, Nazarite comes from the word Nazar. It just means separated. And so someone would normally willingly take on this vow to follow the way of the Nazarite. And what that entailed was you would avoid all contact with dead bodies, you, because that would ceremoniously defile you, so you would have none of that. Um, you would have no wine, no strong drink, or anything like that for your life, not because it was necessarily wrong, just you decided, I'm not going to get involved in that. And the last one, and perhaps the best known of the Nazarite vow, no razor would touch your head. You would allow the hair just to grow long and long and long indefinitely. And so people would take on this vow to say, I'm setting my life, my life decide to follow the things of God, and they would do these things. Now, what was unique here is God told them through this angel, your child is going to be a Nazarite from the moment of birth. It's not going to be a decision when they grow up older and say, okay, I'm going to follow the Lord. He says, no, you're set apart from birth, a very, very special birth. So Samson already is in pretty elite company with only um, John the Baptist uh, Abraham, who was told, and of course, Mary and Joseph, the Lord Jesus himself, the only three instances that we have recorded for us in scripture of an angel telling two parents, you are going to have a child. This will be his name. This will be his mission. Like, so we're in one in four stuff. So Samson obviously is pretty unique. Down to verse 24, it says, he grew. The woman bore a son, called his name Samson. The child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. So it came to pass, the child was born, and everything the Lord said about him was true. He was, he was unique. He was equipped to be God's man, to serve him, to help deliver the nation from the Philistines. We're told later in the chapters that follow that Samson reigned for 20 years as a judge in Israel. Now, this is one of the other important lessons I would point out to you today. If you know where we're going, and maybe you don't, that's great. You'll, you'll see things quickly will turn sideways in the life of Samson. We are told of maybe half a dozen events in his life described for us in the pages that follow. But he reigned for 20 years. 99.9% .9 of his life we know nothing of. And in fact, we know probably in that time he was quite faithful to the Lord. I'll prove that to you before the end of the message this morning. What I want you to see is that what characterizes your life, what people remember about you is not what you did 99.9% .9 of the time. Sometimes it's the moments of lapse, the terrible decisions that we make that can shape everything. By the end of our time together this morning, you will all remember some things about Samson and probably not very good things. Like I said, maybe that's 0.1% of his life, but that's what went on the record. And so we've got to be really careful with these things. Our, our testimony and things of the Lord can be harmed very, very quickly. In the New Testament, 
Paul wrote to the church at Corinth on one occasion, and in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says, As I'm writing to you, I write to you not as spiritual, but as worldly. Or another word, depending on your translation, is as carnal. He's writing to a church here. Believers, people who have decided to follow God, to follow Jesus Christ with their life. And in that context, he's saying some of you are being very worldly. So the message of Samson that I present to you today, this is not a message for the world, for someone who couldn't care less about the things of God. This is, if you have decided with your heart and your life to make your life count for God, the message of Samson is one for you. Because as Paul wrote to this church, he says, some of you are too worldly, you're bickering, arguing, jealousy. Instead of when there's a disagreement, if we are following the things of the Spirit, we should want to submit one to another, to love one another. That's how things ought to be for a follower of God. It makes sense in the world, there's bickering, arguing, jealousy, passion, all of these things. So it's not supposed to be like that in the church, but it is sometimes. And John went on to write, and this will be a verse I think that is really, really central to our understanding of Samson. 1 John 2.16, John said this. He said, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He said, those things are not of the Father, they're of the world. So those three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Maybe you're like, I don't have a clue what any of those mean. Great. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because I think all three of those categories are vividly seen in the life of Samson. And we can see how when we make decisions to follow not the ways of the Lord, but the ways of the world, you say, oh, nothing bad happened, nothing bad happened. The more we feed that path, we end up on a path to destruction. And again, this is for a life of a believer. We're not talking here about heaven and hell. We're talking about a life wasted for God. So let's, uh, let's begin. So let's start with some of the highlights of Samson's life before we get into some of the other things. So like the feats of physical nature are, are unparalleled in Scripture. Chapter 14, verse 5, Samson and his parents, 14, verse 5, Samson and his parents were heading down to Timnath. They came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion as he would have torn a goat. He had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or mother what he had done. He destroyed a lion with his bare hands. No, no, the scriptures make it very clear. Nothing in his hand. Like, this is amazing. Uh, my wife could tell you a funny story about me and a lion at a zoo one time where there was this fake exhibit and I thought it was real and I ran away and left her behind. Um, she tells it better than I do. Point is, you don't mess with lions. We all know that. Samson defeated a lion with his bare hands. Unbelievable almost. Um, down to verse 19 of chapter 14. There was a bit of a spat or a bit of a dispute. And 14, verse 19, the spirit of the Lord came upon him as he went down to Ashkelon. He slew 30 men, took their spoil and gave garments to those who had exposed his riddle. So Samson got into a fight with 30 men and, and won. One on 30. And he emerged victorious, and not only that, he plundered them, looted them, and, and had, to, had to pay off a bet that was questionably made in the first place. But nonetheless, fight, one on 30, and, and he won. But it, it doesn't stop there. If we go ahead down to chapter 15, and verse 15. Now, Samson has done a number of things that were questionable at best. 
And the nation of Israel has decided, you know what, we can't have this anymore. The Philistines are going to hate us for all these things he's doing. We're going to give him over to the Philistines and hopefully that will appease them because they don't believe that God's going to deliver them. So they make this agreement, fine, Samson, we're going to give you over. So verse 15 of chapter 15, as Samson is heading over to the Philistines, it says, he found a new jawbone of a donkey. So kind of just lying on the ground. And he put it in his hand and took it and he slew one thousand men and samson said with the jawbone of a donkey heaps upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey i've slain a thousand men when it came to pass when he made an end of speaking he just cast the jawbone out of his hand and called that place ramath lehi I, I can't even enter into what that would have been like this is the scope of a, a large military battle thousands of men out on the battlefield versus one and the one came out victorious and what weapon did he have just a random thing that he found on the ground a, a bone a jaw of a donkey pretty clear that this is supernatural this isn't just a man who is lucky or strong or anything the power of the lord is with him and so this is when i talk about samson like there's no one like him in scripture and what he was able to do last one to point out in chapter 16 if you go down to verse 3 samson had snuck into the city of gaza a philistine stronghold at night and they knew he was there and they said, well, we're going to lock the city gate. We're going to lock him in and we'll, we'll take him out in the morning. 16 verse 3, Samson lay until midnight. He arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bars and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the hill before Hebron. So in case that wasn't obvious, what happened? They locked him in. He just grabbed the gate, which from what we understand would have been 12, 13 feet across, wood, stone, everything like that. He literally ripped it out of its sockets and carried it on his shoulders, says to Hebron, roughly 60 kilometers. He walked out to Renfrew carrying this gate on his shoulders. Now, I, it makes me laugh because I, I am not a, a physically strong person, anything obviously like that, but you ever uh, try and lift a sheet of drywall? like four by eight sheet of drywall. And I always laugh because it says ultra light on the drywall. If you try and lift that thing, there's nothing light about it and it's awkward. And that's only four by eight. Maybe you lift two of them. Maybe you can do that. That's impressive. He just took this gate like it wasn't even there and carried it away. Like unbelievable uh, things that we've never seen almost uh, feats of physical strength. Now, I wish that was all we could read about Samson and rejoice in what God clearly was doing through him. And we say, wow, what a man that God empowered. But that's, that's not what we're here mainly to learn about today. We're going to go back to that verse in 1 John 2.16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, it's from the world. So those three categories, what does it even mean, the lusts of the flesh or the desires of the flesh? What's the flesh? It's like my skin, right? It's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about flesh. It's talking about our old nature, another word that we use to describe. And say, so, well, what does that mean? I think the flesh and the old nature is best described when you look at it in, in children. Because children are very, very good at displaying to you selfishness. Like children, if, there, if there's one toy and two children, like you never see a small child, like, you know what, that's fine, you take it first. That's not our default. We are all wired to look after self before anyone else. That's the flesh. As you get to be an adult, maybe you get a bit better at hiding that. But that nature, that tendency, that's what I mean by nature. Your natural tendency is to look after yourself. Your natural tendency, when someone wrongs you, I'm going to get you back. 
when, when you maybe you have anger, you have rage, you have fury, all these emotions. So that's when it's referring to here that the lust or the desires of the flesh, doing what you really want to do, looking after self above all other people. So in Samson's life, let's look at that one, the lust of the flesh, caring for self. Back in chapter 14, after, uh, after he had this, this riddle that he had challenged some people to a silly riddle and said, if you can guess it, then uh, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes. And if you guess it, you give it to me. Well, they, they guessed his riddle. It says at the end of verse 19 of chapter 14, his anger was kindled or his anger, he was burning with anger and returned to his father's house. We're kind of given our first indication that he was driven by passion and emotion. It was nothing for him to just fly off the handles. I don't know about you, um, is that something you ever struggle with? Anger. It's not a sin, and the Lord Jesus illustrated this for us very clearly in the New Testament. It's not a sin to be angry, because the Lord Jesus was angry when he entered the temple and saw all the corruption and people selling things and ripping people off, and, and that was wrong. And it says the Lord was angry, and so it was almost a, a righteous anger. But if, if your friends described you as someone who was characterized by anger, wrath, and fury, that's probably not a good thing. Because the tendency when you're in a state of anger or fury is that you're not making rational decisions. You're driven by emotion. And you can very, very quickly do things poorly. And we see over and over again, it's the flesh. It's you doing what you want. You say, I want to get mad. I want to get even. And that's what we see here. So look at verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 7. Samson said to them, when you have done this, I will be avenged of you. In other words, I am going to get my revenge for this. That was his mindset. We are told in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus told us through Paul in Romans 12, he said, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, rather give place to wrath, because the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. This week, I'll put in a plug for 1 Peter chapter 2 as we're continuing on our, our Tuesday night studies. We look at the example of the Lord Jesus. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten back, but he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. He had so many things done against him. He says, oh yeah, but that's not true. Oh yeah, but let's get even. He never did that. He submitted himself to the Lord and said, God's gonna look after us. That's how we ought to act in a spiritual way. Samson was driven by the flesh. And I'm going to get even. If you look in verse 10, just down, the people said the same thing. Bind Samson, we're going to get even with you. So Samson's actions were no different than the Philistines at this point. You wouldn't know that one was a man of God and one wasn't. So that's a warning sign. If our actions are no different than those around us, things are trending in a bad, bad direction. The final word of the, I'll say on that is there's much he could say in this lust of the flesh, just this passion, anger, emotion. It's the start of what we see as the downfall of Samson. He, he didn't put it at bay. He just let his passions run wild. And so as we continue into the next one, the lust of the flesh gives way to the lust of the eyes. And this is so vivid in this passage. Let's go back to chapter 14, verse eight. So you remember Samson tore apart that body of the lion. Then it says in chapter 14, verse eight, after a time he returned and he saw carcass of the lion and a swarm of bees and honey. He saw some honey in the carcass of this lion and he consumed it and he shared it with his, his parents and so on. He said, well, no big deal. I guess he was hungry, right? And honey's good. Who doesn't like honey? Well, it is a big deal. I'll tell you why. Remember, he's a Nazarite. He knew he was not supposed to touch nor even go near a dead body. That's what God told him. 
So very clearly in this action, he's saying, yeah, I know God, but I just don't care. He got his meal, nothing bad went happened, didn't get struck by lightning, no big deal, right? Could I, could I say this is just a cautionary tale, and you'll see it gets bigger and bigger as it goes. If we have no problem justifying disobedience to God's word in little things, it very quickly grows into bigger things. Um, and, and I'll just say, as a, somewhat of an aside, and I guess someone with some experience in these matters, um, food, even just that in itself, if we struggle and, and really, really struggle and say, well, I know I shouldn't eat this, but over and over again, you always eat this or that or, or whatever, could I say this very gently to you? It's a bit of a sign that we're lacking in what the spirit would call temperance or self-control. If we are unable to hold ourselves back from something as simple as, boy, I really want to eat that even though I know it's bad for me, how are we going to do in spiritual battles? You see, it's going to be the same thing. And so that's a bit of a warning sign. If we're struggling in, in something as simple as that, it's a reality check for us that, as it was here for Samson, we ought to be submitting to the Spirit and say, I know better things. I know God has a bigger plan for me. So when spiritual things come, we can say no as well. So he saw some honey. Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnath and he saw... Here's the lust of the eyes again. He saw a woman of Timnath, of the daughters of the Philistines. He came up and told his father and mother. He said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Again, saw some honey. He had a meal. No big deal, right? Well, here he saw a lovely girl, and he said, I'd like to marry her. Seems pretty innocent, right? Well, here's the problem. God had made it very clear in Deuteronomy, you shall not intermarry with the enemies of God's people. This woman is of the Philistines, have zero respect for the things of the Lord or for God or anything like that. And so he made it very clear that that was God's will. And, and Samson, knowing this, again said, I don't care. I saw her. I want her. So he, he, again, blatantly disobeyed God. Now, this is much more important than having a meal, having a snack on some honey on the side of the road. This is a life partner in marriage. The scriptures make us very clear for us that the principle in the New Testament, we flip over there, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 talks about not being unequally yoked to that of darkness. It says, um, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? I don't know about you, and I suppose there could be exceptions to this rule, but as I see this time and time again, I'm talking now in my life, not just in the scriptures, people I know, when there's a relationship where someone cares about serving the Lord and someone does not, more often than not, there's a dragging down effect. It's not that the person on fire for the Lord takes the other person who couldn't care less and brings them up, but rather it's a dragging down, and the person who was once on fire for the things of the Lord tends to tends to slide and diminish because there's that, you just can't have fellowship. You're pulling in different directions. And so Samson didn't care for any of that. I saw her, I want her. But not only that, not only did he disobey God, look what his parents said in verse 3. His father and mother said, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all of our people that you would go to the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She pleases me well. So not only did he disobey God, he disobeyed his parents. His parents were concerned. They knew this is wrong. They knew this was not going to end well. He said, I don't care. I saw her. I want her. Get her. That is the lust of the eyes. But unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. Let's go ahead to chapter 16. Remember how I said how it kind of snowballs and grows? It was a meal, 
Now it's a life partner. And now chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and he saw there a prostitute, and he went in to spend the night with her. Like, we have blown through every barrier and every warning sign. Like, universally, we would say this morning, this is wrong. Like, this is wrong. Like, Samson, what are you doing? Snack to, yes, I want to marry her, and it's a bit questionable. No, no, this is absolutely wrong in so many levels. It didn't bother him. You see, because over and over again, what he saw, he got. What he saw, he wanted. He never once, as it is recorded for us in Scripture, would stop and say no. I need to, even though this looks great, I know what God says, and I choose by faith to trust that what God has for me is better than what I can see with my eyes. The world doesn't live by that. That's why these principles we read from 1 John 2.16, he says, that's the world. The lust of the eyes, what you see it, you get. God says, I know what's right for you. I want to preserve you from a path of destruction. And so that's why I lay down these principles for you, not to rob you of fun, but so that you will see in the end, you look back and see, no, this was a wise way to live. Well, Samson blew right through it, and there he is. No attempt to flee from temptation, not like Joseph in Genesis 39. You remember uh, there was the incident where he was with serving Potiphar, and his wife had developed feelings of attraction to Joseph and tried to get him into something that was nefarious, and when it happened, he just ran out. We are called to flee temptation like that. Instead, Samson went right into it. Down to verse 4, he went down to the valley of Sorek, and he saw another woman, a woman named Delilah, and he fell in love. So over and over and over again, what he saw he wanted, he made no attempt to reconcile these things with the God's truth that he knew. He didn't care because he was driven by the lust of the eyes. This is such a warning for us, my brothers and sisters. It's a warning for me. Uh, there's a verse I love in the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 4.25, and it goes like this. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyes look straight ahead. It's that idea that you consciously understand that I am very weak when it comes to things that I see in terms of temptation. I'll tell you, I'll be perfectly honest. You know, I'm, I'm going through the grocery store. There's a certain rack of magazines at the cash that are filled with all kinds of things that would certainly not be honoring to the Lord for the most part. I consciously decide with my eyes, I'm going to look at the gum and the chocolate bars before I look at that. And I'll tell you why. You say, well, who cares? Whatever. You notice it. I'll tell you why. I find for me, if I get a picture in my head or a thought, it's really, really hard to get it out. But if I consciously, Proverbs 4.25, let my eyes look straight ahead and, and plan to not see certain things that would tempt my eyes, it's so much easier to live with that temptation. And it's just, it's not there. It's, it's that idea. Some people have said, too, it's not the look. Sometimes it's the second look. And, and if you understand what that means, you can totally relate it. You notice something, food or, or something that would be tempting you in things of sin. You know right away, no, I can't look at that. You, you flush it from your mind, it's gone. But it, it's, you notice it and then you linger on that thing. It's in, it's hard, and we need definitely God's grace to overcome that temptation in that moment. So it's, it's a warning to us to not be really, really careful with what our eyes see. Samson had no care and ended up there. So we, we had one more, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Let's, uh, let's see how that's illustrated. So let's continue in chapter 16. So we were introduced in verse 4 to this woman named Delilah who feigned love for Samson because she didn't love him, she loved money. 
She was given a large sum of money to find the secret of Samson's strength because the Philistines wanted to defeat him. And she says, okay, let's do it. So 16 verse 8, the, uh, or I guess verse 7, let's start there. So he, she begged him, tell me, what's the secret of your strength? And he says to her, 16 verse 7, if they bind me with seven green strands that have never been dried, like tie me up with these grass, I'll be weak and just like any other man. So he falls asleep. She does it. It says, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he breaks through them like nothing. Throws them all off, beats them up. And she says, well, you don't love me. You didn't tell me the truth. And then he, he goes down and says, okay, well, actually, you're right. Verse 11, if they bind me with new ropes, not grass this time, but ropes that have never been tested before, then I'll be weak just like anyone else. Falls asleep again. She ties them up. Samson, the Philistines are here. He wakes up, throws them all away. She says, you don't love me. She says, you're right. Verse 13, Actually, what you need to do is you need to weave the locks of my hair into a web. Same thing happens. The battle throws them all off. It's a game for him. He is toying with sin, saying, oh, yeah, I got no problem. I can take over. This is the pride of life. It's you saying, yeah, I know it's wrong. Yeah, this could go badly, but I can handle myself. The pride of life. The follower of a believer of Jesus Christ, you know what we need to realize? We are exceptionally weak. And you don't want to play with temptation or any of these trousers. You want to get out of there because you're going to fall. And Satan is far more powerful than I am. Now, thankful, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But I can ignore the prompts of the Lord and of the Holy Spirit and end up just powerless. So, so this is going on and on. Finally, she gets to his heart and says, actually, you're right. My hair has never been cut since I was a child. He explains to her this idea of the Nazarite. If I lose my hair, she says, I'll lose my strength. And so she cut his hair. Let's read 16 verse 19. She made him to fall asleep on her knees. That is so powerful. He's literally sleeping in the moment of his greatest temptation. He was asleep at the switch. She called on the man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. Now notice this, verse 20. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep, and he said, I will go out just like the other times before and shake them off. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. Didn't even know. You see, his strength was not in his hair. The hair was a symbol of, a, of an inward reality. The strength was from the Lord. But the Lord, just as we started the children of Israel, ignored God, forgot about God, just, just literally wasn't part of their life. God said, okay, I'll let go of your protection too. And the Philistines came in and took them. So the same thing happened with Samson here. The Lord looks down and sees Samson. He says, if you're not even going to guard that vow that I gave to you and let them cut your hair, I'm not going to empower you with that strength anymore. You lose your gift. And he didn't even know he was so out of touch and fellowship with God. And, and he was arrested and taken. Ironically, they even plucked out his eyes. Which I say that ironically because that was one of his greatest downfalls, wasn't it? Over and over again, what he saw, he lusted after. As punishment, the Philistines, they arrest him. He had no strength, plucked out his eyeballs. Wow. Now, at the end of his life, we'll see in a moment... He did do one more action for God, but it certainly wasn't good. But the, the point is here, the pride of life. He toyed with the temptation. He thought he was strong enough. He could take care of business. 
and he forgot that it was God empowering him the whole time. Now, now what about spiritual things here? Like, did the man pray? Did he have any interaction with God his whole life? Well, there was two prayers recorded for us in these passages, one back in 1518, after he had had that large battle, chapter 15, verse 18, where he beat the thousand men. It says, he was terribly thirsty. He called on the Lord and said, you've given great deliverance. Now I die for thirst. And then the Lord miraculously produced some water for him. And then the only other prayer we have recorded from him is on the last day of his life. If you go ahead to the end of chapter 16, as he is now blind and taken, he is found in a temple to Dagon, the false god of the Philistines, and they are openly mocking not only him, they are mocking the Lord who couldn't protect him. So not only has Samson destroyed his own life, he has brought mockery to God. His actions affected God too. But his hair had started to regrow at this time, and he did have some strength. And he asked, like, where are the pillars of the temple here? And so he said he wanted to lean on them. But really what he wanted to do is this. So let's read 16, verse 28. Samson called on the Lord and said, O Lord, remember me, I pray you, and strengthen me, I pray you, this once, O God, that I might get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. You see, it started really well. You're thinking, boy, Samson understands finally he has made a lot of terrible decisions. But he knows he has one last time where he can take out a lot of Philistines with one effort. And the prayer starts out, Lord, remember me. I know this once, please. What it should say at the end was, I am so sorry that I have brought mockery to your name. But instead, the motivation of his prayer, I want to get revenge because I lost my eyes. It's still all about him. And... God granted him strength, and he took down the temple that day. He knocked the pillars down, and it says he, he killed more in his death than he did in his life of the Philistines. But you see, those are the only two prayers we have recorded. Could I say this? For him, prayer was a last resort. It was after the battle is over or in the very last minute, oh, yeah, let me cry out to God. Like, he didn't, he didn't pray before the battle against the thousand men. At least it's not recorded for us that way. It just shows, again, spiritual things we're not high on his priority list. He lived as a man after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and we see the consequences from it. So he lost his ability. His gift, if I could put it that way, was wasted. If you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ with your life, God has given you a spiritual gift to serve in ways that you could not on your own. But we can waste that by making foolish decisions along the way. I, I guess sometimes we end up thinking, you know, now that I'm on the Lord's side, it's all going to be good. I'm going to have strength over sin. And that's true. God does give us through his spirit. He says, if you walk in the spirit, Galatians 5.16, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But I think we think about that last part sometimes more than the first part. The walk in the spirit, what does that mean? It means feeding the spirit, spending time with the Lord, spending time in his word, talking, communion, prayer. If we don't feed the things of spiritual aspect in our lives, we end up, we end up just, like no, just like the world. That's why Paul wrote to a church in 1 Corinthians 3, and he says, you're just like the world. I can't talk to you about spiritual things. You're behaving no different than people who have nothing to do with God. So he lost his ability. He lost his physical slight. He was imprisoned. He was sidelined. He couldn't serve God there anymore. And like I said, I alluded to earlier in chapter 16, verse 24, they were mocking God and praising their false god, Dagon. So he brought desecration to the name of God by his actions. 
So there's a few lessons for us just as we wrap it up and our time is gone. You know, Samson, of all the judges that we read about in the book of Judges, he is the only judge who did not deliver God's people. It doesn't mean his life was, was pointless or useless. He did good things. He defeated Philistines. He did help, but he didn't finish the job that God had set out for him. Um, his potential was immense. Like no one ever has lived with the physical potential of Samson. Physically strong, but morally and spiritually tremendously weak. Sin binds us, and then it blinds us. We have to be so careful when you're making these decisions that seem innocent to begin with. We see the end in the life here of Samson, the dangers of feeding the flesh. We've got to guard our emotions. We've got to guard our eyes. All of these things, the lust of the flesh, eyes, and the pride of life can take us away. Now, I said earlier that... Uh, that Samson did do good things in those other 20 years. And the reason I know that is because in Hebrews chapter 11, the so-called, what we sometimes refer to as the hall of faith, all of these people who faithfully served God and, and the writer to the Hebrews is giving us all these examples of faith. You know what? Samson's in there. From what we read this morning, I don't know that I would put him in the so-called hall of faith. He didn't seem to be a man very much living by faith. But obviously in those other 20 years, he did a lot of things that were faithful. And God saw that and God knew that. And so in the end, you could say God saw faith and saw some good in his life, but the potential was not reached. His life was a shipwreck. He was a man just like you and I, cut from the same cloth. Now, obviously empowered by God, but you know, you're empowered by God too. God's given you a spiritual gift that Samson didn't have. And so our lives too, it's a warning for us, small decisions can snowball to the point of shipwrecking our life. It may destroy our life. It may cause physical harm on our life. It may cause the world to mock the God that we say that we love. These are all things that we have to warn ourselves of. We can learn from in the life of Samson. God saw faith. He can use deeply flawed people. But let's recommit this morning again to avoiding those lusts of the flesh, the eyes, pride, and with God's grace, ask him to help us to overcome those things so that we don't end up shipwrecked like Samson. Let's pray. Father God, your word is an example of, of people that are real. None of us know anyone who ever had the potential of Samson. And you knew him and you loved him. And he did, uh, no doubt, many things serving you that were tremendous and obviously had faith because there he is written for us and recorded for us in scriptures as a man of faith. And yet, the, the man of faith that we aspire to be, men and women of faith, by small decisions, perhaps only a handful of them, we can derail our entire life and maybe even bring mockery to your name. Father, guard us from that. The enemy is ruthless. He doesn't care about our testimony. And he certainly doesn't care about your testimony, but we do. And so I pray that by looking again at, at your servant Samson this morning, that you would help us to stop and reevaluate and to commit ourselves afresh to making decisions not following the flesh, not following the eyes, not following our pride. Father, show us how little we are. When we are weak, we are strong in Christ Jesus. It is only through the power of your spirit that we can live the life that you would want us to do. Father, give us grace to do just that. We pray this for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.